0: We have mechanisms and feedback loops and ways to like assess how things are going uh, and we'll correct where needed. But but let's not let's not pull our hair out trying to make the best decision uh, when when all we need is
1: a fast decision. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, we're joined by Kent. Woodward Kent is a friend of Virtuous. He's also somewhat of a veteran in nonprofit technology where he actually spent a lot of time in his early career helping to grow a nonprofit technology company that was trying to help organizations better connect and bridge the gap between their supporters and the stories, very in line with what we're doing today here at Virtuous in partnership with our customers. Now, Kent is not only a experienced veteran in the nonprofit space and nonprofit technology, but he as he Also a guy that just happens to work at Amazon now. And that's something we get into. We really talk about how and what nonprofits can learn from how Amazon approaches their processes, their decision making. We also talk about how nonprofits can adopt a day one mindset. And if you're curious what day two looks like, you're not going to want to miss our conversation with Kent. So let's get into it. So, Ken, I was introduced to you because you used to work in nonprofit technology like us here at Virtuous, but now you've landed yourself at Amazon. Like, what was the little kid's dream of what you thought you were going to be doing at this part of your career? Yeah.
0: Yeah. What was the like
1: squiggle that got you away from that to like where you are today?
0: It was realizing that genetically, you know, wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers was probably not in the card for me, cards for me and so uh had to, had to find a way to muddle through in the meantime. I don't know. Um, this is
1: an audio only podcast, so based on your voice like maybe people are disagreeing with that. Like <laughs> <laughs> get that guy on sports center. Um no, so it was a, a couple
0: things but but the the tour through nonprofit tech was was really looking for more kind of meaning and direction in in my work and and being able to actually connect with the the vision. I went to a Christian college, was a business major there, but they really taught Businesses' mission, so like as some kind of you know extension of your faith, you should be you should be living that out in your work, and so wanted to have at least a connection, not working for a church, but at least like connected to what was going on. So did that for seven years, uh, and I didn't I didn't lose the desire to have a meaningful connection with the mission for my work, but but realizing um, you know at the the company I was at at the time, PushPay was one of the larger technology companies that was serving uh, that part of the market um, with four hundred employees. I don't know what we're doing revenue wise, but but so still a small company by technology standards, but a large company in the nonprofit in the nonprofit tech world. And so I think what I was feeling was I want to I want to continue to work with companies to have a huge impact and to be able to change the world through what they're doing. I think technology is a key part in helping them do that. But I was feeling a little bit tapped out or capped out, I would say. in what I was able to learn in that role. And so the the working theory that I had was let me go to the biggest game in town, uh, the absolutely like largest tech company I could find, which in Seattle happened to be Amazon, um, and said let me just kind of tie my out of that rocket ship for a couple of years, and you know uh, I've got kids, so an MBA isn't really in the option. I have to keep earning an income, unfortunately. And so it's like what can I where can I go position myself to learn the most over the next couple of years, uh, and then figure out where best to plug in and and kind of bring those superpowers back to, to bear. So that's kind of what uh, that's what I'm doing here two years in now. um, still just trying to soak up as much as I can. Uh, and then eventually figure out what I want to be when I grow up.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that's probably why we get along so much is that you it sound like you also kind of had this like, desire to live at the intersection of kind of like, business or like operations, etc. Like, you know, kind of how do we grow something, but like the overlap of that with, mission. And then like you, I've, I've in the same boat is that I started off with like, okay, I want to live at the intersection of marketing and mission. And then I discovered how important technology is to scale those two things. And then if I lived at the intersection between the three of these, how much more impact you could have. And it sounds like you kind of discovered a similar thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I, I think a couple things. One, I think I would have a hard
0: time. I, I think I need to be at that intersection, right? I think I'd be, I'd have a hard time um, working at a nonprofit or working at a ministry. My I'm a pastor's kid, so grew up in in a church working you know, with parents who worked in nonprofits. Um, and I think, you know, don't necessarily feel like that would be a, a good full-time place for me. And similarly, you know, I'm kind of selective about the kind of tech companies I want to work at. I, I think uh, there's some that I would have a hard time. If I can't visualize the problem of the end user, if I can't understand what it's like like to sit in their shoes and be where they are, and if I don't, if I'm not bought in on what they're trying to do, um, you know, like no disrespect to the cannabis industry or things like that, but I think I'd have a hard time working for for places where I wasn't like, yes, this is like objectively making the world a better
1: place, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, I know we're going to talk a lot about kind of lessons nonprofits or listeners, those listening to this right now, because they're like, okay, you have this random guy on that's <laughs> like happens yeah. to work in Amazon, um, but there's a lot of overlaps there. Like a company like Amazon or Apple or Tesla or Disney or all of these other companies we talked about before we started recording, there's a lot nonprofit leaders or fundraisers can learn from that. So I'm yeah. hoping you can help translate some of what makes these brands that we engage with personally special, that then we can take back and embed in the ways that we fundraise and raise money and connect supporters to the stories that we are as fundraisers. So I want to start off with like the first question is Amazon's famous for kind of this day one mindset. Um, For those that don't understand what the day one mindset is, if you could kind of briefly explain it, but then what, how could nonprofit leaders benefit by adopting that day one mindset that Bezos is so famous of talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah, happy to. Um, and and also just as a quick disclaimer here, so I'm I'm here. Kent, well, you're, I think you said it well. Noah, just guy who happens to work at Amazon. Um, so here as a, as a friend of Noah, as a friend of Virtuous, we go we go a couple of years back, um, and, and then work at Amazon and have learned a ton from being here. Not here like in an official representative capacity, um, but just sharing some of my my perspectives. And, and and the great thing about Amazon is it's one of the the most well documented companies on the planet. And so just about everything I'm sharing is also available on some. Really really good um, blog posts and you can do
1: a a Google search for Amazon leadership principles is a great place to start. You basically just said everything I'm about to say is, has been said before, Yes, (laughs) but we need the reminders and the translation,
0: (laughs) which I appreciate. I'm here to aggregate a whole bunch of blog posts into a, into a 30 minute podcast for people who don't have the time to go, go track them down. Um, But, uh, but no, I think that's, uh, that's uh, the day one mindset is one of the things that absolutely led me to Amazon because um, i was in startups and loved the the fire and the energy of a, of a you know entrepreneurial early stage startup uh, but wanted to go experience scale and i think amazon is is the best place i've seen that really marries those two where you are you are innovative you are innovating and moving so quickly at a million plus employees now right um, and the day one mindset is really critical to that and what what Bezos means when he says it is, it's always day one at Amazon. Um, It's kind of a, become kind of a joke. It's a cliche. You hear it all the time here, but it's, it's tried to be infused throughout the culture. And what he means by that is, is everything you think of like day one of a new, a new whatever, new school year, new relationship, new, new company, new job day one is it's a little bit terrifying. Uh, it's a lot exciting. There's everything's in front of you. Everything's ahead of you. You're just getting started. Um, and there's there's like so much to do, uh, but there's that energy, the enthusiasm that comes with it. Uh, and there's the mess that comes with it. And so I think that's what they've tried to infuse in the culture is this attitude of like, look, we, we've come a long way, um, but the upside, the opportunity is all out ahead of us. Um, as much as we might think we know, you know we need to like assume that we we don't know way more than we do know and that it's that there's more to learn there's more to grow there's more to do uh it's a little bit chaotic it's a little bit hectic but it's all of that excitement and that's i think that's kind of the the furnace that amazon has created out of which produces these these innovations and these new creations that amazon is continually known for um is this idea that you know, the, the best way to delight a customer is right around the corner and we haven't found it yet. The, the best, you know, new, exciting thing that Amazon's going to 20 years from now be famous for hasn't been created yet. So like, let's, let's operate under that mentality as opposed to it. And then the day two mindset, right? So somebody asked Jeff, I think once, what does day two look like? And he said, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but it's like, it's, it's stasis followed by like slow and painful decline followed by death. You know, I mean day two is blockbuster, right? Yeah. Where it's like, hey, we did it. We're there. Let's just like, let's just milk this thing as long as we can. Let's slow down. Let's let's coast. Let's ride it. And that's like when you make that mental switch is when when you're on the decline. And so trying to trying to root that out and avoid that wherever they can.
1: Yeah. No, that's really and the, the actual quote is day two is stasis followed by irrelevance, followed by excruciating painful decline followed by death period. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look it up before the call, but I was like, yeah, we're definitely yeah. That, uh, documented uh, on the, on the podcast. So I guess like thinking about a day one mindset versus maybe a day two mindset, how like provide some examples, how would this show up in a nonprofit? What would a day two mindset look like in a nonprofit? How would someone know if they have a day two culture? Hmm. I think, um, a, a couple things.
0: One is, um, you know, orientation away from the mission, from the donor, and 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 towards um, whether it's kind of internal structure. So we're going to start, you know, like thinking about like you know politics, like when politics and like infighting and um, carving out your territory and figuring out who's you know who's doing what and who's in charge and uh, those types of things are, are I think are kind of hallmarks. Bureaucracy is a key part of it um, where you're more focused on checking the right boxes, you know, um, uh, you know, making sure the right people feel like they were like, um, you know, had their ego massaged or whatever before decision can be made is a key, a key part of it. So bureaucracy, slow decision making, um, I think like fear of fear of failure. Uh, we can get into that a little bit more later, but people like conservative decision-making, right. Where people are, are more worried about maintaining their position than looking around the next corner and figuring out what's the new way that we're going to delight our donors, uh, further this mission, like make more of an impact and do more than we did last year. Like we're more focused on, um, how do we maintain our lead or how do we keep the donors we've got? How do we not rock the boat? Um, those sorts of things are, I think, I think hallmarks of it. Um, looking to the past for, for the best path forward. So like, you know, this is what we did last year. It worked all right. Let's try it again this year. Um, Let's just, let's just run it back. You know
1: Um, those sorts of things I think are all, are all hallmarks of of day two. Yeah. And I think this is more relevant than ever right now, because one thing that we've been talking a lot about um, here at Virtuous is the fact that we can't even with a more positive outlook, as we look beyond the pandemic post COVID, you know, or really just a new version of it. But, anyways, like moving forward, the world's opening a little bit more that we can't just go back to like January 2020, pick up the playbook and be like, great, we're just going to execute again. Galas and golf tournaments, like we got our major gifts stuff, we have, you know, our direct mail, like we're just going to keep rolling. We just took kind of a vacation that was really, really yeah. hard <laughs> for 15 months. So, I think this idea of like day one mindset is something that's really interesting, especially right now for nonprofit leaders. Well, it's, yeah, and it's if having that
0: mindset and you look at the nonprofits you work with Noah, where the ones that have, the ones that were already embracing technology, the ones that were already um you know maniacal about maniacal about the mission but flexible about the method which is a kind of a little cliche i like to use like the ones who who knew what they were but then were willing to to try anything in the pursuit of their mission are probably the ones who who weathered 2020 the the easiest you know or, or without the most disruption the ones that were pegged to, to the galas and the golf tournaments, right. Who had their silent auction every November. And that's where 90% of their funding came from. And like, they hadn't really invested in digital myth, methods. They hadn't really moved off of the, the direct mail and some of these other things. Like those, those are the ones that are probably struggling right now to figure out like, how do we, how do we do this? How do we, how do we find our way? Um, and I think that's, I think, again, that's if you talk about where things start to slip and where where people start to fall behind, it's where you lose sight of the mission and you focus on the method and you think like, hey, what we're really all about is we're a company that does, you know, uh, this campaign in Q1, then we do a a 5K in in the fall and, um, you know, we employ X number of people and we have this office and this address and like we just take up this space and that's like, that's what we're about. And what we all do when we come here is we're worried about like, um, you know, education in the industry city or, or childhood literacy or whatever it might be like as an aside, right. As if like the organization was an entity unto itself separate from that, um, as opposed to the flip side where you're like, Hey, we are here to, um, to, to end trafficking in whatever, in the Southwest. And that's going to be like, that's, that's every single day. That's all we care about. That's all we think about. And how are we going to do that more effectively? I don't know. It's just, it's a nuance, but I think that that shift matters.
1: No, absolutely. And so I want to kind of get a little bit more practical here because we've talked about what day two looks like. We've kind of expressed philosophically what a day one approach looks like. You've mentioned some of these practical things, but if someone's listening to this and being like, okay, well, how do I, how do I know, or how do I begin to um, um, model a day one mindset? You talked about uh, holding things loosely, rooting out the indecision, embracing failure, what are some of the other kind of practical things that organizations could do to kind of adopt this day one approach to their work?
0: Mm-hmm. One of the kind of mental models that Amazon's introduced me to, which I've really appreciated, is this idea of one-way doors versus two-way doors. Um, and uh, and it's all on this this kind of within the umbrella of, you know, you can optimize for a fast decision or you can optimize for the right decision. And if, if I look at some, what is day two thinking? It's, it's saying we need to have the right decision Which means a lot of times there's going to be indecision. It means a lot of times there's going to be a bunch of people sitting in a room, putting some things on a board, looking around, waiting for somebody else to make the call, um, saying, oh, we should go back and get more data. We should do another donor survey. We should go do a sentiment analysis. Let's go make sure we go pull some more data as opposed to making just a decision. Um, And as opposed to saying, like, we're going to make a decision. Might not be the right decision. It's gonna, it could be the wrong decision, but we're going to make a decision and we're going to move forward. Um, and then we'll, we'll we'll come back and see if we made the right decision. And, and so Amazon has this idea of a one-way door or a two-way door. and And the delineation there is pretty straightforward. A one-way door is one that like once you've gone through it, for whatever reason, it's going to be very, very difficult to walk that back. Maybe it's out there in the press, right? Maybe there's going to be a huge financial investment. Maybe you're going to have to hire a bunch of people. Um, it, anything like that where to wind this back is going to be impossible or very, very expensive and painful. And so those decisions are ones where, okay, like sit in those for a little bit. Like, like figure out, like, let's make sure we have the data. Let's let's bring in the right stakeholders. Let's let's expand the conversation some but that's like 5% of the decisions that get made within an organization on a regular basis. Right. And it's usually at the very top level, further down the organization, we're all making two way doors, right. Where if we go and we say, I'm going to use this color for an email header or I'm going to use this copy or I'm going to send this out or, you know, it's stuff that like, if it worst case scenario, I don't know, embarrassing, you do it different next time, but like the, the impact is going to be very small. And so deputizing decision makers all the way down the organization to just say, Hey, like, Go do your job the best way you think you can. Um, If there's not going to be like some massive blowback for the organization, if we're not going to go bankrupt as a result of this decision, like it probably doesn't need to be like marinated on by the entire executive leadership team for, for a week. You know, we probably don't need three different V teams thinking about it. So I think stuff like that has been really empowering. It's crazy at a company the size of Amazon the level of trust they put in employees that are, you know, like further down the food chain that that can go make fairly large uh, and substantive decisions on behalf of the company um, with not, not no oversight, but like within these boundaries of like, look, go to your job. We, we think you're smart. That's why we hired you. Uh, we trust that you're going to do the right thing. And we have mechanisms and feedback loops and ways to like assess how things are going uh, and we'll correct where needed, but, but let's not, let's not pull our hair out trying to make the best decision uh, when, when all we need is a fast
1: decision. Yeah. And I think when you start talking about trust, I think some people would, are probably sitting there saying, no, we trust employees. We agree with that mindset, Kent, like people should make the best decisions, but they're not. And I keep telling them that they can make the best decisions. Like we tell them to act as though they own the company and that the mission is theirs and like moving forward, like, but they're just not, what is it? And I'll give my feedback, but I'm curious how you think about this is like, what I see is that there's a lot of like, no, we trust you, but then there's not this level of enablement and accountability. Like that's kind of circled back. So it's kind of like, Hey, we trust you to make the decision, but there's like, they're either not enabled or that there's not a level of accountability or support yeah. that would, would create an environment where they could be successful. So I'm curious, even with trust, like how, how what else needs to be there? Cause trust isn't a solution in of itself. You already mentioned no, that there's true. like feedback loops or there's accountability or there's these other things in play. Yeah. I think it's, so it's,
0: it's a great call. Like high performing employees, they want, they want flexibility and freedom, but they're also looking for accountability. And they're also, they're, they're looking for guardrails too. Like when you say like, Hey, we want to have, um, uh, you know, we want to do a different kind of, uh, fundraising campaign around Thanksgiving this fall. Like, Go figure it out, you know? Like don't just throw them out into the desert and have them figure it out on their own, right? Provide some provide some structure and some guardrails. And so uh that, that comes in a lot of ways at Amazon. A lot of it's not unique to Amazon by any means, but you know, one-on-ones with managers. Um, we have kind of uh decision-making bands, so to speak. So for each level of the company, you are authorized to make decisions with financial impact up to X amount, right? And as you go up. You know, so I know if I'm talking about a deal that's a five million dollar contract, I need to pull in uh, a manager uh, up to X level of seniority to like sign off on that. So, because I would feel very, you know, they might trust me to make that, but man, I'd feel like I was dangling out there in the wind if I'm trying to go do that on my own. Um, So that's one thing. We have you know cadences of of MBRs, WBRs, and QBRs. So weekly business reviews, monthly business reviews, quarterly business reviews. Again escalating up levels of seniority who are looking in and so for a qbr you might have like a good vp that's going to get a quick update on the whole business uh at a glance once a quarter and so there again uh, a regular cadence where you have identified the key metrics you know what you you know what you care about you know what matters to you and then you're going to there's going to be an accountability function where the the employee comes and says here's what i did this week this month this quarter here's where we're trending to goal uh we're gonna put a color on it: red, yellow, green. Amazon uses colors, so we're we're green to goal, we're yellow to goal, which means we're missing. But here's the path that we're gonna to get to green, or we're red, which means we're at we're at you know a pretty severe deficit. We're probably gonna miss our goal, uh, and so it just provides this kind of shared language, shared framework, um, where where you know that there's there's accountability that's coming. Um, but again, none of it is none of it's punitive. I think that's another key thing with trust, right? And we talked about before we went live, the the COE, the correction of errors report, which is this kind of uh, ominous process at Amazon, wherever something goes, you know, significantly wrong that has a customer impact. There's a COE report that gets filled out where you're identifying root cause, customer impact. You kind of dig down five levels of whys, like why, why did it happen? Why did that happen? Well, why did that, you know, you keep asking why until you get to the root cause. Um, And, but, but it's not like who's going to get fired at the end of this you know, whose job is on the line as a result of this, it's a collaborative, um, supportive effort of saying like, let's just look ourselves in the mirror and all be really, really honest about what went horribly wrong here. Let's define how wrong it went and let's identify how we're going to correct it going forward. And so having those mechanisms in place and that accountability in place, but again, all from a standpoint of we're in this together, we're all committed to this mission. We're all smart. We're all trying the best we can to do the best we can. So let's let's as quickly as possible get back to serving our customers well i think is like a huge a huge part of that where people feel sincerely trusted and sincerely kind of empowered to go and do some of these things
1: so what you said just now is really interesting cuz what you're talking about is that there's an embedded nature of learning in everything that happens um whether it's at amazon or kind of in a day one mindset like everything you do has an impact on what you're doing next and that's part of the outcome um and it's kind of this continual learning like how do you how does someone adopt a culture of like continued learning like what are processes or kind of things that they could put Mm. in place to to implement that there or yeah i mean i think it starts
0: like foundational it starts from a place of humility which gets modeled by the leadership all the way at the top and so it's it's, you don't think of amazon maybe as like a humble company where we're out there people know us jeff bezos is a international celebrity. Right. But it's, it's that, that key to that day one mindset is the, is the um, assumption that like, we haven't figured it all out yet. Right. We're just starting out. We're brand, we're brand new to this. Forgive us, you know, we're going to make some mistakes and we're sorry about that, but like we're still figuring this out because it's day one for us. And so if employees in your company see a leader who is, who is very upfront about their own failures, right. And, and is, is leading with humility uh, leading with failures I think that then, again, it empowers and deputizes and enables everyone to, to feel comfortable doing that on their own. And, and realizing that, hey, the goal of all of this is to, is to get better uh, and to improve. I think a couple of our leadership principles at Amazon that come to mind here, which, again, Google Amazon leadership principles if you're curious. One of them is learn and be curious. Like one of our core values is learn and be curious. Um, and so what, what that, how that usually looks is you know mentorship is a, is a huge thing. Um, this kind of like rotational approach. Of having people try different roles in different parts of the company and then maybe you're going to go in different disciplines so you might move from bd to marketing to product management to sales right like you're going to just bounce around to sample from all of these different types of things um, which creates a well-rounded leader those are the people who you generally see and get promoted um another one that i love is we've got a leadership principle that says leaders are right a lot which means leaders have good judgment. Leaders make good decisions. Uh, But there was a Bezos clarification that he gives when he talks about that leadership principle, which is by right a lot, he means like 51% of the time, you know, like you're like barely over half. Uh, And so you're going to be wrong a lot. And, and being very, very comfortable with that and recognizing again, like it's not, my goal is not to be right. hundred percent of the time. If I'm right. hundred percent of the time, it probably means I'm playing it way too safe and I'm not taking any risks because I've just made sure I stayed really right there in my comfort zone. Um, and so kind of understanding that as a leader, you're like, man, like i Botch that! I'm terrible. Jeff is not ashamed about the Fire Phone or Amazon restaurants or Dash buttons or web stores or Z stores or like all the silly things Amazon has done over the years, all in an effort to get to where they are today. Uh, but he's not bashful about the failures because, and, and I think that
1: kind of permeates then through through the organization. Yeah, in some ways, they're symbols that will live on to remind people of the truth of the leadership principle, right? Like they, they're actually important to celebrate and to showcase. Because it reinforces those principles, which again is going to reinforce this day one mindset. So, if you're thinking about your yeah. organization right now and your nonprofit, like where are the times when the organization's fallen flat? And when have you revisited those as reminders of how we did make mistakes and we learned through that? You know, I know I've been through a lot of mistakes in my career, and I don't know if I do that enough either to say, hey, no, we're going to symbolize these. But I will say one of the things that was uh, really impactful, really two things, is I started working at a technology company. And during the onboarding training, we had this dedicated session that was in like day three of onboarding. And the session was led by these two guys, like two random guys, didn't really give context to why they were leading it. And they had to tell these stories about mistakes that had happened in the culture where someone used bad judgment. Because one of the processes was that you had to use good judgment. Like that was really the only rule. Use good judgment. Like we hire adults, you should use good judgment. And that Mm -hmm. was kind of the like, you know, send off for all new employees. But this was talking about these individuals were sharing these stories about when they used, like when there was bad judgment in in force. So they were trying to showcase what bad judgment was. And at the end of the presentation, they're like, yeah, we're the people in the story. So like their their punishment was that they had to actually come and teach (laughs) what they did to all the new higher classes to express how they used poor judgment, but to showcase that they're still there. And these stories were epic. Like these were like, really bad yeah. judgment, like the worst of the worst. But the important thing was like in this embodied symbol, these people still work there. They're actually being yeah. elevated. They actually get to talk to every new person. And there's these two people that have to tell this story week in and week out about how they like yeah. use poor judgment. But that was a symbol of the value. So you knew that that was real. And yeah. I really appreciate that.
0: It's it's so fascinating. Like I just hear through the grapevine, like at a company like Amazon, right? Where the screw-ups on this scale are pretty massive, you know, like I, I, heard about an engineer who like with a click of a button basically took amazon.com down and then went to lunch and like, didn't have his phone. So like, imagine like that level guy still works there. Right. Didn't get fired. Uh, and people who passed on like incredible opportunities that would have been like transformative, like it would have impacted all of our lives in different ways. You know what I mean? Where, you know, they're still there. Um, just, you know, man, take your lumps and and, and move on. Um, yeah, and i think that's i think that's it, it's so huge cuz cuz i don't know um if the it, it's such a short term mindset to say we're going to root out like The the person who did this and we're going to, you know, we're going to make an example of somebody, which, which, you know, sometimes in the heat of the moment when you've just like sent, you know, I don't know, you've alienated a lot of donors. You've made some massive impact that feels like an existential crisis. Um, You need to you need to like kind of get your pound of flesh, but you lose potentially a really good employee who just made a made a mistake and you lose the opportunity to model this to the whole company where all of a sudden people see, oh, that guy pushed the button when he shouldn't have. I'm never pushing that button, you know, when my turn comes to push, I'm I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be the guy in the line and that can just be so toxic,
1: um, forever. So yeah, I think it's a good call. Absolutely. Well, we spent a lot of time talking about lessons that nonprofits can learn from Amazon, but Amazon sits at the top of the most valuable company list with a few other players that I think are worth noting, um, yeah. including Apple and Tesla. And the one thing that I think is interesting about these three characters is you have Apple who's like unabashed about selling really, really expensive, high quality, like software, tech, not hardware integrated. You have Tesla who though is expensive. So I'm going to omit this on this call. They're still a mid range player in the grand scheme of like the automotive category. Like they sit very clearly in like the middle portion of their category. And then you have Amazon who sits at the low end, but these are the three most valuable companies. They've obviously employed different strategies. They're, Relatively different companies. When you really dig under the hood, what's similar amongst them that maybe nonprofits can glean from? Like, why are these the most valuable companies? And then, what implications does that have for nonprofit leaders? Um, and how maybe they should adopt some behaviors or mindsets as they press forward? Yeah, I think I think two
0: things come to mind quickly. One is is just crazy long term thinking, right? Like not long term, even like in years, but like thinking like in decades. And and having a vision for where they want to be and where they want the world to be, decades from now and how they're going to help bring that about, um, you know, huge Amazon and Tesla were, were massively unprofitable for years, years and years and years on purpose, uh, and it was not that long ago. No, you remember? I mean, what four years ago when the Tesla was, you know, I think their stock was like at one hundred and fifty and it was being shorted by everybody and it was like crazy overvalued and they were having like you know, missing like production, you know, quotas quarter after quarter and like all these things. And, and just like cool as a cucumber, they're like, you know, what? we are here to change the automotive market. Uh, we're, we're going to do this. It's going to continue to take a long time. We're going to take out a lot of loans and lose a lot of money in the process, but like, we're going to get there. And here they are now today, one of the most valuable companies on the planet. Um, and so I think that's one, that's one thing is like nonprofits, for-profit companies, when you start getting into the game of like next quarter, next month, even next year, Um, it just becomes a rat race where it's never enough. And you're never looking past the end of your nose. You start looking around at your competitors and trying to find like incremental advantages that are going to maybe keep you afloat for the next year, but not actually have like a transformative change in the world or in your, your mission. And so I think the long-term focus is one. And then, and then the customer obsession, like when I think of those three companies, they all, um, they all treat their customers better than they need to, right? Like they, all of them could get by, um, with doing like 15% less for their customers, right? Like Apple with their, with their packaging and their store experience and their, uh, kind of like the feeling in the, in that they create around their products. They don't need to do all of that. Tesla, they, they put more bells and whistles and gadgets and gizmos into the cars than they need to, but, but it's awesome. And anyone's been in a Tesla, I was like, man, this is like this is next level. Um, and Amazon as well, famously, you know, is customer obsessed and start like like I can't think of a meeting that I've been in where somebody hasn't at some point asked, like, what's the impact on the customer of this thing that we're talking about? Um, and that's how you get a company that that gives you free returns with no questions asked. It does two-day shipping for free before anybody else is doing that um, and starts like a streaming service in a, in, a, in a web services business. Like all these other things, right? Like Amazon would have been fine doing 15% less in in, in service of their customers. Um, but their whole thing is like, we are going to continue to blow their minds off or blow their minds with how well we take care of them. And that's going to be our growth strategy. Um, and so for nonprofits, you look at that and you think, you think how, like how noisy the world is today, how many messages we're all receiving, how many brands are out there. The ones that I respond to and the ones that I give my attention to are the ones that have figured out how to like, you know, put me at the center of their story, like play to my ego. It's like the, the me, me, me generation right now. It's like, all right, uh, you're going to really, this is something different. Uh, I feel like, you know, me, you understand me. I feel like I am like, the focus of this message, not just you. And so therefore, like, I'm going to give this some more time. Um,
1: And I think those are some of the things that that Apple, Tesla, and Amazon have really figured out. Yeah, I love that. Like very long-term mindset, but customer obsession. And I think the third one I would add would go back to some of the things you brought up at the beginning is that they're like, deeply committed to process, but moving fast. They don't hold on to things very tightly, like just execute, execute, learn, execute. So it's also that like long-term vision, but they don't get stuck in the cloud. They're also shipping every day, like executing every day, delivering every day, making sure that happens. And that's centered on the customer. Last thought, I think I shared this with you previously, you know, being
0: at Amazon, one of the first things I realized is that, um, you know, they're, there were just people who work here, right? Like they're smart people. These people, you know, some of the smartest people I know I get to work with every day, but they're not not—they're not rocket scientists. They're not geniuses. They're people just like you and me. And, and I think it was Steve Jobs that has that great quote that like everything we see in the world around us was built by people that are no smarter than us. Um, and so for a nonprofit or any for-profit or any company that looks at like Amazon, Tesla, Apple, uh, Microsoft, Netflix, like it's not, those weren't created by next level geniuses, right? Those weren't all like Stanford MBAs. They were just like, People working really hard, figuring out how to like mitigate the mistakes and build processes that are going to move this whole culture forward. Um, and so for a nonprofit, like there's nothing that Amazon or Apple or Tesla are doing that is out of reach for a nonprofit to, to take advantage of. Um, and again, there's, there's all sorts of uh, resources online that have been written about all these companies. And, and there's there's nuggets of wisdom to pull out for all of these people as well.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you wanna dig further into Responsive Fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack Just for listeners of this podcast, if you go to VirtuousCRM.com slash podcast, that's VirtuousCRM.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the Responsive Fundraising Blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing Responsive Fundraising. You'll also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20-plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com podcast.